On this week's edition of New York Now, we take a look at the biggest New York political moments of the last year. Then, as we start the new year, we look ahead at the policy issues and politics expected to shape the 2024 legislative session. I'm Chantel Destra, and this is New York Now. Today, the Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Chantal Destra. It's the start of a new year and a new legislative session at the state capitol. This year, the governor and state legislature are expected to address several ongoing policy issues, including housing, which the pair failed to come to an agreement on a comprehensive housing plan last year. This year is also an election year, which means state legislators will be working to get votes all while trying to push their respective legislative agendas for the next few months. The start of the new legislative session means the governor is set to give her state of the state address, sure to be filled with her vision and framework for the year ahead. The governor has already started giving some insight into her vision, previewing several proposals this week. Tune into our live coverage of Governor Kathy Hochul's state of the state address on Tuesday, January 9th at 1 p.m. and at nynow.org. But as we look ahead at what this new session will bring, we wanted to first take a step back and recap some of the political news and policy issues that made for an eventful legislative session in Albany last year. It may be hard to remember all that took place last year as we gear up for what is sure to be an eventful year in state politics, which is why we're joined by Dave Lombardo of the Capitol Press Room, Zach Williams of Bloomberg Law, and Nick Reisman of Politico. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Now, as we know, last year was a very eventful year in state politics, but I wanted to start off with Governor Kathy Hochul. At the start of the year, she had come off of a win of a very competitive gubernatorial race. I don't need to remind you guys. But then she was met by a very interesting legislative session filled with high highs and low lows. So where did this session leave the governor politically? I think going forward, one thing that Governor Kathy Hochul is really going to have to try and do a reset on is this housing issue, yes. which is going to be a major thing for her going into this election year, not for her, but for all 213 members of the state legislature. So, you know, I think the politics for the governor looking at, you know, 2024, she was able to get some wins, as you mentioned last year, like a minimum wage increase, something mm -hmm. that she had actually supported and worked with the legislature to get a compromise on. But housing was like the big thing that remained kind of an outstanding issue for her. And it was really kind of swallowed up in the politics of New York State. You had a number of progressives who wanted tenant protections that real estate interests were opposed to. And then you had a number of moderate suburbanites who were opposed to the housing mandates in her proposal. And I think the uh, politics surrounding housing have really only gotten worse uh, in the last year. The idea of some grand bargain that's going to be struck appeasing everybody on the left, center, and right is even harder to do in an election year when I think the status quo is politically more convenient for some of those people down ballot who would rather see nothing done on housing than potentially risk the ire of voters by imposing some sort of tenant protections or, as Nick said, those mandates on new housing creation. Mm -hmm. 
One interesting dynamic, I think, coming into this year compared to last year is the absence of crime, really, as the big issue. You know, that really cost the governor dearly on the campaign trail. Coming into this year, though, crime is down. It's kind of gone back a little bit uh, in terms of the political agenda. Now, it could always come back. You never know with this. Um, but what is interesting is it really exacerbated her relationship with the political left, add a lot of pressure on political moderates um, who are looking towards, you know, re-election this year. So I think the governor can at least um, take a little bit of solace in the fact that, you know, crime isn't quite the big issue that it was last year when she really had to strong arm and push the legislator to change bail reform, among other things. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, in recent years, bail reform has been the sticking point of budget negotiations time and time again. And, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but I am, I feel comfortable saying that it might come up again, right? So what exactly is the path forward this year? So I think when you talk about the budget, it's been a lot about policy in the past. I think this year's budget, though, is largely going to be a fight over dollars and cents. Right. Heading yes. into this fiscal year, there was talk last year from budget officials about a $9 billion deficit. That was rolled back down to about $4.5 billion in the fall. The governor's drawn a hard line in the sand on new taxes. The legislature, for its part, has some elements that will talk about increasing taxes. But I think at the end of the day, uh, there won't be a, a, a clamor for uh, increasing taxes unless we're actually facing cuts, and not just uh, slower growth than normal, but actual cuts to some of the sacred cows, whether it's education or, or health care. And so I think that is going to be the big fight in, in the next couple months, is finding a way to close that $4.5 billion deficit. And I think enough people have been here in Albany to see, you know, a few billion dollars here and there. We can find that <laughs> in the couch cushions, and no hard choices have right. to get made. Yeah, it is hard to think that four and a half billion dollars can be chump change, but to, to a large degree compared to prior budget years, Dave's right. It, it, it really can be. I think one of the bigger, uh, more contentious issues that you will see vis-a-vis -vis the budget is going to be the migrant crisis yes, and how right. uh, responding to the influx of hundreds of thousands of people into New York over the last year and a half or so is going to be addressed. Mayor Adams, obviously, in New York City would like to see some federal help. He would also like to see additional state assistance. The governor has really signaled here that she is no longer willing to fund these open-ended hotel stays in New York City. So one thing she's going to try to do is shift a lot of that money from those hotel stays and from sheltering into, say, legal assistance or helping migrants find jobs in order to find something of a semi-permanent solution to this issue that, again, is very politically fraught for Democrats going into this year. Let's not forget about Medicaid. It's, you know, one of, along with education, the biggest part of the budget. You know, 1199, the most powerful union in the state, and the hospital industry are pushing for higher reimbursement rates for providers. You know, Republicans and Democratic lawmakers are both on board with this, and this just adds more pressure to the rest of the budget. You know, if, if, if increases in Medicaid get approved, and there's a budget deficit that's just going to add more pressure possibly for cuts or for limiting increases right. on other things. And Medicaid is just that one big budgetary animal that nobody seems to be able to kind of you know, get control of over the years. You know, the governor had has some super de duper commission that's supposedly going to find solutions to all this. I'm not too optimistic that anything fundamentally will change. I think just like past years, Medicaid costs will go up and that's just going to make things tougher on the rest of the budget. Mm -hmm. So do we think we'll get an on-time budget this year? Last year, the budget was, you know, very late. What about this year? 
I mean, the safe money is no, we will not have an on-time budget. Nobody, I think, has ever lost a lot of money betting against right. uh, the possibility of an on-time budget. Yeah, I mean, it's a $200 billion question, yeah. give or take a few billion, right? Uh, it, it's One thing I'm going to be interested to watch for is whether the governor uses any of her innate leverage that she has in the budget process to try to get lawmakers to the bargaining table and get a spending plan done by around April 1st. Mm -hmm. One potential leverage point here is the redistricting issue that yeah. we've seen reopen right. here mm -hmm. with uh, the new drawing of congressional lines as ordered by the state's top court. And yes, this is really only the House of Representatives, the Senate and Assembly are not affected, but there are going to be lawmakers who are going to be looking at some of these lines and thinking to themselves, well, you know, if a certain line is drawn this way or if a boundary is drawn in the other way, I could eventually run for the U.S. House of Representatives. And so there is some leverage that Governor Hochul has here with redistricting, with the budget. Will she be able to to use that leverage, will she be able to use that power in order to get what she wants in the budget by around April 1st? And you mentioned the redistricting um, commission and the saga that's ongoing with these maps. So what is the smart play here for Democrats? I know that, you know, obviously this is not a new issue, but how can Democrats sort of tempt, not tempt themselves from, you know, being too, um, not going over the line in terms of Greedy. Maps. They don't yeah. want to be greedy. 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 Thank you. <laughs> and if they are greedy, then Republicans yeah. will bring them back to court, right. and Republicans could eventually win, right. and then Washington's repeat. We're back with this Have redistricting process. Have they learned process. their lesson? You know, it, it, what, what happened with the House maps last time around was a rejection on process, not right. necessarily sure. on gerrymandering. Yeah. There was a partisan gerrymandering complaint when it came to yes. the House lines as well, though. I mean, there was that process right. thing that ultimately killed it, but yeah, yeah. there was yeah. that you know partisan issue. They did get too cute by half with right. how far they went with some of the lines. The Long Island House District, I think, was one that a lot of people, you know, like <laughs> the, the South Shore of Westchester, yeah, Westchester and then, and then uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Great Gatsby West Egg part of Long Island all drawn together was a bit much. But um, if Democrats are able to, you know, adjust these lines so that things are a little bit better for them, say, in central New York with uh, Congressman Brandon Williams' seat in the Syracuse yeah. area, and then if you go down into the lower Hudson Valley, the mid-Hudson Valley with Mark Molinaro, and then out on Long Island, well, then Democrats are potentially in business here in New York to even have a, a real chance of flipping the narrowly divided House and make Brooklyn's Hakeem Jeffries a Speaker of the House, and they'll be able to do it through New York. Republicans are also very well uh, well aware of this, and they're going to be funding, you know, at least uh, you know tens of millions of dollars, not a hundred million dollars, mm -hmm. to try to keep the House in their hands. Right. It's it's critical to remember just a few tweaks here and there could really affect the House exactly. map. You know, Brandon Williams. Won in 2022 by very narrow margin. A few changes in that central New York district could maybe sway it the Democrats' way. If he gets Tompkins County, he's done. You know, I think that's the conventional wisdom. Yeah, and and it's and you got to keep in mind too that the Democrats might be interested in playing a little def defense as well. Pat yeah. Ryan in the Hudson Valley, top target of Republicans. A few changes here and there could go from a you know a real swing district to something that's maybe more lean Democratic, maybe even safe. We'll have to see. Probably not safe, but yeah. you know it was a narrow race and a few changes here. And there on Long Island, Hudson Valley, Central New York could really change things, uh, change Democrats' fortune. Now, there is a caveat here. Like, you know, as, as Dave mentioned, there's really only so much Democrats can do in order to game these seats so that they're able to win these. They, right. they can't do it in such a way that's markedly unfair, mm -hmm. but they also cannot draw, say, you know, Congressman Mike Lawler in the Westchester, Rockland County area uh, so that it's a much more Democratic friendly seat that could in turn make life a lot easier for somebody 
like Mark Molinero. Mm -hmm. Same goes on Long Island, where they're trying to pick up, at the very least, not just the George Santos seat in the special election on February 13th, but also Anthony D'Esposito's seat, mm -hmm. Nick Loda as well. So there's only so much that can really be moved around in this jigsaw puzzle before things start to be a little tougher for, say, some Democratic moderates and easier even for some Republicans. And it's possible, though, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because in early January, when we're talking right now, there's still the pen is held by the redistricting commission. Exactly. And, you know, right. when the first go around, there was an assumption that that pen would be taken away from them and the Democrats in the legislature would ultimately draw the lines. There could be a calculus from the Senate and Democrat. Senate and Assembly Democratic leadership that, okay, let's see what the Assembly, let's see what the Commission is able to draw up, and maybe these lines are palatable to us, and we don't want to risk a court challenge, so we're going to take this redistricting Commission's work, and we're going to live with it. Right. Um, so it's possible we might not even get to that point where there's that backroom line drawing by Democrats where they are considering these hard questions of how much do we move, how much do we take. Um, so, you know, maybe in a perfect good government world, the redistricting <laughs> Commission uh, has the final say. They can yeah. agree on a single set of maps. They deadlock, then it goes to the legislature. <laughs> but I think the bottom line is here. What happens with the Independent Redistricting Commission, as it's called, and Penn's not my word, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what happens with the Redistricting Commission, and then ultimately how the legislature and the Governor Act really could determine who controls the House of Representatives and the course of the country for the next two years. Right. And, you know, that is a congressional races, but what about the state Senate and Assembly races next year? You know, how do lawmakers balance their respective legislative agendas and, you know, running for re-election or election next year? I think in the state Senate, um, everyone's always looking in the suburbs of New York City, particularly. Um, Long Island is a place where the Democrats really, you know, in, in, in 2018, 2020, you know, almost eliminated all the Republicans in the state Senate. Um, but now the Republicans have, you know, really clawed back. You know, now I think it's six of nine um, are Republicans. They have seven. Seven? Yeah. Boy, it's hard to keep track. So <laughs> Democrats are definitely going to try to make another push on Long Island, get back some of that territory, especially in Nassau County. And, you know, I think that could really be where Democrats either go well beyond that supermajority once again, or maybe just little by little the Republicans bring it below a supermajority and maybe even come within, you know, a half dozen seats or something of the majority. Um, but Republicans gain, regaining the majority, no. I don't think that's if, if, if you're If you're a sitting member of the legislature right now, particularly in the state assembly, you're not necessarily worried about a general election challenge mm -hmm. from a Republican. You're yeah, much more right. worried mm -hmm. about a challenge to your left flank in a Democratic primary from, say, somebody who has uh, a Democratic Socialist of America ties right. or an endorsement from the Working Families Party. That is a major concern, especially in the state assembly, which we have seen become, uh, quite frankly, and I think a lot of people would agree, even in the assembly, further and further to the left. Um, and you still have some moderates from upstate New York, from the suburban areas of New York, who are a little bit more moderate, but you are seeing increasingly uh, progressive lawmakers get elected after winning Democratic primaries, especially in Queens, in Brooklyn, and other parts of New York City, and even up into the Hudson Valley. So th the State Assembly is changing, and that could have real reverberations down the road for Governor Hochul, who has a much different statewide constituency that's a lot more moderate.
And hanging over all of these elections, whether it's the primaries or the general, is a public campaign finance system that's going to right. take effect right. in 2024. And like Nick just laid out, that's going to be a boon for some of these progressives who are uh, mounting primary challenges to Democrats and then turn to the general election. I think it's going to be helpful for Republican outsiders who are trying to take on uh, Democratic incumbents. Uh, the system was basically held up uh, by Governor Hochul with a veto at the end of the year uh, by some of the uh, incumbents. Democrats who were looking to make the system uh, a little less friendly for these challengers. Uh, there was a bill that would have made the threshold for qualifying higher, would have allowed for uh, larger contributions to get maxed out uh, with uh, public financing dollars, uh, all seemed to be beneficial for incumbents. Uh, that was struck down. So it's really going to be interesting to see how this impacts these races, uh, which are coming up you know, sooner than we expect with June primaries, and then right. November will be here before we know it. Yeah, so there's a lot there in terms of the elections next year. Um, but going back to the legislative session, earlier we touched on housing, we touched on bail reform. So what are some of those other big policy issues that we should be paying attention to heading into next session? Well, I'm very partial to tech uh, in my right. in my job, and you know, while it's not the highest profile issues by by any means, um, it arguably affects everyday New Yorkers as much as anything else. You know, data privacy, Cal mm -hmm. or California, New York now is the largest state without a comprehensive data privacy law. Now, what does that mean? It means New Yorkers have no right to know what data big tech companies, Facebook. Um, for example, you know, actually collect on them. Now, there's what advocates call good data privacy laws and bad data privacy laws. Um, some states have adopted one that have, have, like Virginia, have adopted laws that are very industry friendly. California's law is held up as a real example of something that's very aggressive for the consumer. Um, another issue that's likely to come up, whether it's the big issue, probably not, is artificial intelligence. Mm. You know, New York has fallen behind of, of other states. You know, I think in 2023 we saw you know more and more states at least start to study this new technology, generative AI, ChatGPT, that type of stuff, and how it might affect you know, state government, how it's already using automation. We've seen these controversies recently in New York City with NYPD using facial recognition software and stuff like that. So, you know, while these issues probably aren't going to affect the elections and thus might take a backseat from most lawmakers, you know, they're very important for New Yorkers. And while everyone's paying attention to, to um, you know, the redistricting and housing and all these other important things, you know, industry lobbyists are working hard to push all these regulations and laws in their favor. Mayoral control of New York City schools Ooh. is up sure. this year. That's yeah. a major issue for Mayor Eric Adams, who, mm -hmm. by the way, is facing some of his own exactly. issues right now <laughs> with a federal investigation into his uh, campaign. He has right. accused of any wrongdoing, but it's certainly something that's kind of looming over the mayor as he is trying to get his agenda through Albany. And that really does start with an extension of mayoral control of, of the city school system. And, you know, I was talking to a handful of lawmakers about this who have been holding hearings on uh, education issues not just in New York City, but statewide. And they do plan on grilling him about this, on how this should be extended, whatever, whatever changes they may like to see. They may try to push through over Adams's objections, who said yesterday, uh, said uh, the other day, that he would uh, like to see a straight extension of it, as other mayors, as his predecessors, have gotten in the past. 
There's also going to be some pressure on the governor to uh, address the rollout of uh, recreational marijuana in New York. Okay. There have been some comprehensive bills addressing uh, farmers' needs, addressing the tax structure for recreational product. Whether that actually moves in the legislature remains to be seen, but I think there's going to be a growing chorus uh, in uh, both houses of the legislature that something needs to be done, potentially tucking it into the budget because there could be some economic ramifications if they do uh, change the tax structure uh, of uh, the recreational marijuana sales. Yeah, and there are Democratic majorities in both chambers, but if you're a Republican lawmaker, is there a chance, is there a world in which you could have your agenda pushed forward? What should the playbook be for Republicans? Well, they're going to have to try to get some sort of Democratic support because, you know, this is quite frankly the way things work in Albany is if you are in the majorities, right. winner take all when it comes to, you know, getting their uh, policies through. Uh, but one thing that will be interesting is it, it's been an issue that you've seen largely Republicans talk about, but you're also starting to see some Democrats raise some concerns about this, and that is the outmigration of people from New York. We're seeing a, a steady stream of people leave the state, and it's not not just the richest of the rich, which is going to have real ramifications for our tax revenue and for how New York State budgets, but also people who are making what we would consider to be middle-class incomes. They're just finding New York State and New York City in particular too expensive to live in. And so there is going to be a, a real discussion, I think, from even some Democrats over how to address this issue of living in New York. I mean, housing is probably one answer in reducing the cost of housing, but there are going to be kind of a wide array of menu options for lawmakers to consider here on this out-migration question. It's been a Republican issue in the past because it's largely been something that has affected upstate New York and upstate New York's political power. But we are starting to see it affect all of New York State's political power because we're losing congressional representation as a result of this. We're going to lose probably two House seats in the next round of redistricting after the 2030 census, and we lost one after the 2020 census. So this is a serious problem for New York. It's diluting New York's political power. It's diluting New York's economic power nationally. And lawmakers from both parties are probably going to have to come to some sort of way of addressing this issue. And, you know, it'd be really interesting to see it approached in something that's not just jobs and economic development focused. You know, I think um, over the years, you know, especially under her predecessor, economic development was, was kind of seen as, you know, as the way to solve out migration, at least from upstate, you know, create jobs and people will start living in Syracuse in increased numbers again. The Buffalo Billion. The Buffalo Billion. And we've seen, you know, and under this governor, we, you know, the Micron deal in, in Syracuse to bring um, microchip developed semiconductor manufacturing to Syracuse. You know, that may or may not work out. But, you know, a lot of the reasons that Republicans bring up for why New Yorkers are leaving are, are things that don't really have much to do with economic development. You know, taxes, um, some, you know, maybe cite, um, you know, political liberalism as somehow driving people out, um, you know, issues of personal liberty, that type of thing. Bottom line is, you know, it's not just about jobs, but it's been treated as pretty much just about economics and jobs for many years. And, I, you know, it'd be interesting to see how Democrats might take the ball and push it into new directions, whether or not they're successful. We'll see. Right. I mean, the big challenge is here, you know, like after the COVID pandemic, it's easier to work from wherever right, exactly. nowadays. Right. You do not necessarily have to work in 
in the state in which your company is based. And that means you can work out of your home office uh, virtually five days a week. You, uh, and that makes it a lot easier for uh, people to move to different parts of the country. You can live in Idaho or Utah and work for a New York-based financial company, for instance. So th there is going to have to be some sort of reckoning here with addressing that it is easier than ever for New Yorkers to become North or South Carolinians or Floridians or Texans or whatever you want to say, because that is going to, at the end of the day, it is a jobs and economic issue because New York is losing people. That means New York is losing tax dollars. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we do have to wrap up soon. But in the last couple of minutes, I'd just love to hear from each of you what you all are looking to reporting on um, this year. Are there any threads that you're hoping to pull on as we start the legislative session? So I'm watching the uh, higher education budget in 2023. They were able to succeed in getting an investment in, in SUNY, but now 2024 comes, and they're saying we're going to have long-term deficits that really need to be addressed. Is the governor going to look to make more investments in SUNY, or will they finally increase tuition, which is what they were trying to do in 2023 and got ultimately blocked? What's the impact of the legislative session, the, the policies that are passed at the state level? What's that effect going to have on the House races mm -hmm. going into yeah. this year? You know, we've seen Republicans in the past take a lot of the Democratic controversies that have come out of Albany and use them quite effectively in campaigns. So will there be an impact this time around? I'm always looking for the unexpected train wrecks. Um, I think, <laughs> you know, the, the whole Israel-Palestine issue. Mm came up last year, you know, you would think it would have nothing or very little to do with state politics, but, you know, people feel very strongly. And I think, you know, especially, um, you know, with following the October attack um, by Hamas, you know, just these, there's kind of a lot of boiling anger among some Democrats against their more leftist colleagues, particularly those associated with the Democratic Socialists of America. And, you know, to what extent this might affect things that have nothing to do with Israel-Palestine, you know, we'll see. But, you know, already you got some members saying they're just not going to work with certain people ever again. And, you know, um, I would not be surprised at all if, like, the, the settler bill comes up again or anything else that just starts a huge dumpster fire in the legislature. Well, there's a lot to look forward to this year, <laughs> but we'll have to leave it here for now. Thank you so much for being here. And we were speaking with Dave Lombardo of the Capitol Press Room, Zach Williams of Bloomberg Law, and Nick Reisman of Politico. And you can join us every week to get the latest on the 2024 legislative session. Next week, we'll be joining you live with coverage from Governor Kathy Hochul's State of the State address, Tuesday at 1 p.m. You can also visit our website for more. That's at nynow.org. That does it for this episode of New York Now. Thank you for tuning in and see you next week. Funding for New York Now is provided by WNET.